Good evening, church. Welcome to tonight's life class. It's the fourth installment in our series on faith school, and you are in for an awesome time. Tonight, you're going to be blessed. Great things are going to happen in your life. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I want to specially invite you ahead into next week's life class. It's going to be different. It's going to be full-on interactive. There are going to be other panelists in. It's going to be a rich and a vibrant conversation around the subject of faith, particularly how to make sure our faith remains relevant in the world that we're living in, how to tussle with the challenges that come up with living the life of faith. We're going to be talking about faith in the real world and all that comes with it. You really don't want to miss that life class to conclude the month. It's going to be all about realistic faith in the real world. Interactive, we'll answer your questions also. So tell everybody to come in next week, Wednesday. Let's go straight into God's word for tonight. It's going to bless you. Open your Bibles very quickly to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 11 and 12. Paul is writing to Timothy, his spiritual son, a pastor of a church, and he's writing to him and giving him various instructions. So we read in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 11 and 12. Hallelujah, glory to God. And it says, But you, O man, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Then verse 12, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He says here, Paul tells Timothy, fight the good fight of faith, fight the good fight of faith. He's telling Timothy that in this Christian walk, you are going to fight, but the fight that you have to fight is the good fight of faith. Then jump into the second book of Timothy. Second Timothy. Paul is still writing to Timothy chapter 4. Now verse 6 and verse 7. This is Paul talking. He's come to the end of his race and listen to what he says. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. Verse 7. I have fought the good fight. Remember that earlier I told Timothy that he should fight the good fight of faith? Now he's talking about him. At the end of his race, he says, I have fought the good fight. For of course, the good fight he's talking about here is the good fight of faith. He says, I have fought the good fight and I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. So just in case you were in doubt as regards what the good fight was about, the good fight was about keeping the faith. This was Paul's valedictory address. He said that he had fought the good fight, that he had kept the faith. The good fight, therefore, is to keep the faith. The good fight of faith is to keep the faith. The good fight of faith is to keep the faith. Why is it a good fight? I'll tell you why it's a good fight. Because it's a fixed fight. Because the victory is already guaranteed in this fight. It's a good fight. No, let me make it better. It's not just that the victory is guaranteed. It's that the victory has already been won. 
by Christ Jesus on our behalf. So we are fighting to keep what he has already won for us. That's why he calls us more than conquerors. Because we weren't the conquerors that went to the battle and won the battle. That's Jesus. We are more than conquerors because we are given the victory to keep. So the fight is not really a fight to win the fight, but to keep the victory that has already been won. Did you get that? The fight is not really a fight to win the fight. It's actually a fight to keep the victory that has already been won on our behalf. It's a faith fight and we must be willing to fight that fight. The subject of this final teaching in this series tonight is fight the good fight of faith to keep the faith. Fight the good fight of faith to keep the faith. You're going to be blessed. You're going to be provoked. You're going to be challenged even tonight as we delve delve into God's word. Let's pray. Mighty Father, I ask that you help me, that you speak through me, that you cause my tongue to be as the pen of the ready writer that I might inscribe upon the hearts of the men and women listening to me live and those watching later also. Your living truth, and by reason of that living truth, they will be elevated to a new level of experience with you. Lord, stir up the giftings within us and cause us to realize our responsibility, even as regards fighting the good fight of faith, and grant us to experience the victory of faith indeed in all of our lives, in all of our situations, and in all of our circumstances, I pray, O Lord Jesus. I pray that even those that have are tuned in live or later, that they won't leave this teaching the same way that they came in. There will be significant shifts in their lives. In Jesus' mighty name, I do pray. Amen and amen. Okay, let's get, get in there. The Word of God lets us know in the book of Proverbs in chapter 13, verse 22, that a good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. A good man doesn't just leave an inheritance for his own children, but he leaves such an inheritance that will not just cater to or bless his children, but that will also bless his children's children. So this must be the desire of every good man, every good parent, to leave an inheritance for his children's children. It's good to leave leave riches and property for your children, very good indeed. But you have to be careful to make sure that you pass on to them not just the riches, but the wealth. The riches, not, not just the riches, but the wealth. Because there's a difference between riches and wealth. Wealth is actually what produces riches or what should be the sustenance of of, of riches. Wealth has more to do with mindset, has more to do with principles, has has more to do with with, with perspective, yeah? Now, if the right uh, mindset is not passed on to children and only riches are given unto children, over time they will squander the riches. But he that is truly wealthy is always able to produce riches. And, and, and it, it's because of this that sometimes uh, generational riches uh, don't go down the generations because all they got was the riches. They didn't get the wealth, the philosophies, the mindset, the principles that, that, that produce the riches in the first place. So the question I'm cha- sending out to you, whether you are already a parent or you are aspiring to be a parent or you will be a parent at some point in time or another, whether biological or even relationally or spiritually, 
You've got to determine that you're going to leave the right inheritance for your children. What are you leaving your children? The, the scripture talks of a man leaving an inheritance for his children's children, which is beyond money and property. He's talking about the guarantee of continued wealth through the principles and power to get wealth in the first place. Hallelujah. I hope you are hearing me what I'm saying. So don't just give them the what. When you are passing things on to your children, don't just give them the what. Make sure to give them also the why and the how. Did you get that? Don't just give them the what. Don't just give them things. Make sure that you give them the why and the how. Now, in the book of Proverbs in chapter 22 and verse 1, Proverbs 22 and verse 1, it says, a good name, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, loving favor rather than silver and gold. Uh, so when you are considering the various things that you want to pass on to your children, that you want to leave to your children, make sure that a good name is one of your top priorities of what you are passing on to your children. According to Proverbs 22 and verse 1, it's letting us know that a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. A good name is a great thing. Make sure that you give your children a good name. It's a good inheritance, a good name. A lot of people in this day and age overlook the value of a good name and only want things, only want pounds and dollars and riches and possessions. But a good name is a good inheritance. A good name is such a good inheritance that Jesus humbled himself to the death upon a cross in order to be able to secure a name above every other name, at which name every knee must bow and every tongue must confess that Jesus is Lord. We read about that in the book of Philippians in chapter 2, verse 8 to verse 11. This is the value of a good name. He paid such a high price to secure such a great and a good name. And his name is so great and so good that he now tells us that whatever we ask, in his name, his father in heaven, God our father would do it. That's the power of a good name. A good name opens doors. A good name carries favor. He went on further to say that whatsoever you ask in my name, whenever you gather in my name, he's talking about the power of a good name, that his father responds to his name. Hallelujah. A good name is a good inheritance indeed to go. I'm doing building this foundation very deliberately. I'm going somewhere with it, so stay with me because I can hear somebody right now saying, what does this have to do with fighting the good fight of faith? We'll get there. Just stay with me. Hallelujah. The word of God says in the book of Proverbs and chapter 18 and verse 10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run in and they are safe. See how great a good name is. It's a place of safety. I don't know what you are going through right now. I don't know what challenge you're facing right now, but the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run in and they are safe. Run into the name of Jesus. Even right now, we are calling on the name of Jesus. It's a good name and it's a great inheritance that has been passed down from generation to generation. At the gate, beautiful 
beautiful, Peter and John encountered a man that had been lame from his mother's womb. And we hear, we know the story and the statement that Peter made when he said, silver and gold I do not have, but that which I have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. This story we read in the book of Acts and chapter 3. Three, hallelujah. He raised this guy up and the guy received his miraculous healing. And then he, he starts, they questioned him on how they healed this man when they entered into the temple. And we read in Acts chapter 3 and verse 16, Paul, Peter starts to give the reason, the rationale behind which he was able to heal the man. He says, and his name, through faith in his name, the name of Jesus, have made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yea, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. So, Peter is saying the reason this miracle has happened is because of the name of Jesus and faith in the name of Jesus. In fact, when they now brought them before the Sanhedrin to answer for this miracle, they said the same thing unto the Sanhedrin in Acts chapter 4, verse 10. Verse, verse 10. He says, Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God has raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you made Whole. So he says that again, he tells them that the secret, the, the secret source, what made this happen is the name of Jesus. The Sanhedrin recognized this key, that it was the name in which they spoke that caused this to happen. So when they would, 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 would command them or, or reprimand them, they commanded them not to speak at all, nor even teach anymore in the name of Jesus. They could see that the key was the name of Jesus, but the disciples decidedly disobeyed them, for it is better to obey God and disobey man than to obey man and disobey God. But they knew that the key was the name of Jesus. But it wasn't just the name of Jesus, because we do read about uh, uh, the seven sons of Sceva who came against a, 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 a demon-possessed man and said to the demon-possessed man, in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches, and they didn't get any good result. They were beaten back, black and blue. Because it's not just calling the name of Jesus, it's actually faith in his name. Did you see that? It's faith in his name. When, when Peter was telling them what happened, he said that it is faith in his name. It's not just his name. It's faith in his name. It was faith that activated the power in the name of Jesus. When you have true faith in the name of Jesus, then you activate the power that is in the name. So now let's try to start tying it together. So in all the inheritance that we want to pass on to our children and to our children's children, I dare say that the most important and often neglected item to pass on to our children is our faith, our faith, 
our faith. Our faith is what we need to pass on to our children. And this is a challenge in the day that we live in because even Christian parents have lost that priority. So we are working assiduously to send our children to the best schools, uh, to give them vacations in the best places in the world, to clothe them with the best designer clothing, to make sure that they have all these worldly experiences. And they are not necessarily bad, but it becomes an issue if you are giving them all of that and you're not giving them the most essential thing, which is your faith. You're not making sure that you are depositing your faith inside of them. We would have failed as Christians if we failed to pass on our faith to the next generation. The reason we are here today, the reason you are here today, the reason that you are tuned in listening to a message from God's word is because somebody was faithful uh, to pass on the faith uh, from one generation to the next generation. Listen to what Paul's testimony about even Timothy was. In the book of 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, Paul was writing to Timothy and he says, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, that which dwelt first in your grandmother and your, your Lewis and your mother Eunice and I am persuaded is in you also you see so Timothy's faith was a transgenerational faith it was a faith that was first of all in his grandmother um, Lewis and then it was passed on to his mother Eunice and Eunice made sure that that same faith was passed on to Timothy this was a godly and a goodly heritage that had been passed down and would continue to be passed from generation to generation. The baton of baton of faith was passed from generation to generation. And this is my concern in the day that we're living in, that is that baton of faith still being preserved and still being passed on the way that is meant to be passed on. In the book of Hebrews and chapter 11, we read a chronicle of the testimony of faith. It's, uh, it's actually a chronicle of the passing on of the button of faith from generation to generation, from father to son to daughter to father to son to daughter, onwards and onwards. We read how the faith was passed on from Adam to Abel to Seth, and Seth continued the legacy of faith, and he passed on it on all the way to his grandson, Enoch, who walked with, with God and tasted not death because God took him and on to all the way down to Noah and from Noah to Abraham and from Abraham to Isaac and from Isaac to Jacob. Jacob became Israel from Israel to Joseph from, from Moses to, to, to Joshua from Joshua to the judges from the judges to the priest the faith the baton of faith was being passed on from the priests to King David from King David to Solomon from, from, from the kings to the prophets to from the prophets to John the Baptist, from John the Baptist, hallelujah to Jesus, who is called the son of David and the seed of Abraham. So we see that this legacy, this baton of faith was preserved and passed on uh, through the generations. Uh, and now we're reading again in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, uh, as, as the writer of that chapter, of the writer of the book is rounding up that chapter, he makes some profound, profound statements. After chronicling how faith has been moving from generation to generation to generation, he now says in verse 39, 
29 and verse 40 of Hebrews and chapter 11. And all these, all these people that have just chronicled have having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us that we should not be, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Oh, you don't get me what I'm saying. This is profound indeed. What, what, what Paul, who is accredited with the most likely writer of Hebrews was saying that our forefathers did not see the perfection or the full fulfillment of the promise of faith during their lifetime. They only received a good testimony of having lived by faith, but they didn't receive the fullness. They didn't receive the perfection of their faith because that was reserved for a generation not yet born. Can I tell you the generation that it was reserved for? It was reserved for our generation. Hallelujah. Do you get me what I'm saying? So they were simply couriers. They were not the ones that were going to experience the fullness of the blessing of the reward of the perfection of faith. They were couriers to make sure that the faith kept on moving from generation to generation. So listen to this. This is a key point. Their faith was not really for them. Their faith was for who was to come after them. Their faith was for the next generation. Their faith was the, for the generation that would follow them. In fact, when we study in the word of God, we'll find out that why the reason why God chose Abraham to be his man on the earth, above all the other men that were on the earth at that point in time. In Genesis in chapter 18 and verse 19, he says that God chose Abraham because I knew that you would command your children to follow the way of the Lord. I knew that you would make sure that this baton of faith did not get dropped, that it would continue from generation to generation to generation. Are you hearing me? Can I? Can you help me type in the feed right now? Don't drop the baton. I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know what challenge you're facing right now. I don't know how hard it is, how tough it is right now, but don't drop the baton. I charge you. I encourage you. I provoke you. Don't drop the button. Why? Because even your own faith, listen to me, just like Abraham's faith was not really for him, it was for the generation to follow. Even your own faith is not really or limited to you. It is actually for the next generation. It's actually for the next person that you are meant to pass it on to. It's not for you. It's for another. It's not for you. It's for another. Oh my goodness. What you have learned, what you have gone through and what you are going through, it's not really for you. It's for another. It's to be a blessing lesson onto somebody else. It's for you to be able to pass it on. Don't drop the button. Pass it on. We cannot afford to drop the button. The world is working hard. The Satan is working hard to get us to drop the button. But we have determined and we are resolute. We are not going to drop the button of faith. Is there anybody with me online on Facebook or YouTube? Type amen. Say yes. I will not drop the button. The faith must be preserved. The faith must be preserved. We must arrive 
arise and be defenders of the faith, not of the faith. So no, of the faith, the true and the genuine faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. We must earnestly contend for the faith. Ah, yes. In the book of Jude and chapter 1 and verse 3, Jude 1 and verse 3 says, Beloved, beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was which was once for all delivered to the saints. He, Paul says here, writing to Jude rather, says contend earnestly to for the faith. To contend for the faith, we have to understand what the faith is. Hallelujah. And so I'm going to teach you a little bit right now. Get, get me, get this. This is very important. Faith is both corporate and personal. Faith is both collective and individual. Faith is both a system of belief and a personal walk. The faith is both a movement and a life. The faith is both an institution and a relationship. Hallelujah. You've got to understand this about faith. We've been teaching about faith. You've got to understand the two aspects of faith, that it is both corporate and personal, collective and individual, a system of belief and a personal walk, a, a movement, yet a life, an institution, and yet a relationship at the same time. You've got to be able to hold both realities of faith together in a fine balance because we have a lot of people that are trying to choose the personal over the corporate, uh, the individual over the collective, uh, trying to choose one over the other. So for those that like to choose the personal over the co collective, they want to jettison, they want to jettison the, the corporate uh, and embrace only the personal. They want to evict the collective uh, and grant residence only to the individual. They want to deny the system of belief and only claim a personal walk with God. They want to stop the collective movement while attempting to only live a personal life. They want to refuse the institution while keeping the relationship. And I understand it. Sometimes the collective disappoints us. The corporate does things we don't expect. And so we now want to retreat from it and only embrace that which is relational, that which is personal, that which is individual. But the problem with this, the problem with this is that there are some things that can only, cannot be accessed alone. They can only be accessed in the collective. Uh, you know that verse in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, where he says that he has raised us up together to sit with Christ in heavenly places. We offer individualize that scripture and we make it about I am seated with Christ in heavenly places but when we go and read that text properly it says it has raised us up together there are certain experiences that you cannot experience alone that you need the collective to be able to experience it that's why it says forsake not the assembling of yourselves together because there are some things you cannot experience alone you can only experience it in the collective are you hear me? What I'm saying, one will chase a thousand, two will chase ten thousand. We need the collective. We need the institution. We need the co-op, uh, the, the corporation or the co cooperative. All of us coming together. There are certain things we cannot accept.
access, access alone. In the same book of Ephesians in chapter 3, I believe, it talks about us that we might come to know the love of God that passes all knowledge, uh, that we might be able to comprehend the height, the depth, the width, and the, the breadth of the love of God together. You can't comprehend it by yourself. You have to comprehend it together with other saints. So we can't jettison the corporate for only the personal. But there are other people that swing to the other extreme and they only want to embrace the corporate while letting go of the personal. Oh yeah, that's a mistake also. The rebel in the collective while in, in, ignoring their individual walk with God. They, they, they become masters of the system of belief of faith while they have lost their own personal walk with God. They flow with the movement. They allow the movement to carry them, but they have no individual living life with the Lord. They stand with the institution while not entering into a personal relationship with the Lord. This is a misnomer. Something is wrong with this. The problem with this is that in the intimate battles of life, and particularly in final judgment, you will not be asked really about the collective or the corporate. You will be asked about your personal faith. It's your personal faith you need to triumph. In fact, Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4, 4b, it says, for the just shall live by his faith. You see, other people's faith can only carry you so far. You get to a point and a place where you've got to have your own personal understanding and grasp of faith because it's your personal faith that's going to deliver you. Listen to that other scripture where it says that bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. But then a few verses later it now says for each man will bear his own burden. At the end of the day as much as we do the collective you've got to be committed to also taking care of your personal walk with God. Personal responsibility for your walk with God, for your prayer life, for your study life. Uh, when you only pray in the corporate and you never pray in the personal space, in the individual space, there is a problem. So we have the corporate and we have the personal of the faith. And the faith is both. It is both corporate and personal. And we need both. If you are going to contend for, if you are going to fight for the faith, you have to understand that it is both corporate and personal. Both parts are essential and we need to protect both. We must contend for both our institutions of faith and our faith relationships. The faith movement and the faith life. The system of belief of faith and the walk of faith. Our collective faith and our individual faith. Our corporate faith and our personal faith. We must protect and contend for both. It in, it's in the corporate that there is the personal and it is the personal that feeds the corporate. So you see how they are linked together? In the corporate, we find the personal and it is actually the personal that truly feeds the corporate. Hallelujah. The corporate anointing. Each one of us bringing our individual anointings together, we cause there to be a cataclysm and exponential multiplication of anointing when we come together in the corporate. And this is why the enemy works so hard to keep us separate. Hallelujah. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith, collective corporate. But inside the corporate is 
the personal. Hallelujah. The challenge of the day that we are living in right now is the loss of faith. In fact, so many people are losing the faith. Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 18 that when the Son of Man re returns, will he yet find faith on the earth? We're living in the days of faith under attack. Our faith is under attack like never before. And the tragedy of the times we're living in is that there's so many believers that are oblivious of the fact that we're in the middle of a war against our faith. And because of our ignorance, we have aided and abetted the loss of faith. Uh, we instead of being united in, in fighting the enemy, we are actually divided fighting one another. Even Paul wrote about this in the book of First Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 4. He says, when one says, I am of Paul, and another says, I am of Apollos, you are, are you not carnal? He's saying you've lost the script when you are fighting one another. You are thinking like men when we are supposed to be together. It's about the faith. It's not about men. It's not about this great celebrity pastor that I'm following and that other great celebrity pastor that's my personal pastor. No, it's about the faith. Uh, the faith came before the men. And when the men are gone, the faith will still be here. Hallelujah. So it's about the faith. Hallelujah. We've got to learn to be committed to the faith. Hallelujah. We've got to stand for the faith. We've got to, 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 to stand for the faith. We've been sold the lie of inclusiveness above all else at the expense of of the faith and therefore now that you, you we're struggling with believers i'm wondering what do, does the, the, the christians really stand for you see if you don't stand for anything you will fall for anything hallelujah we don't we, we don't even know what we stand for anymore hallelujah we need to come back to an understanding a grasp of the faith both corporate and personal and we've got to contend for the faith we've got to fight for the faith. We've got to fight the good fight of faith. Why is there such a loss of faith? Why is there such a falling away from faith today? Because so few people are willing to persist. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. Persist. Like that persistent widow. So few are willing to keep on keeping on. So few are willing to be unpopular for the faith or to endure anything for the faith. They're not willing to be ridiculed or criticized or even labeled or I, I, I dare say even cancelled by reason of standing for the faith. Too many believers are, are, are consumed with having the world love them. Ah, <laughs> that they are losing the faith. They're compromising the faith in a bid to get the world to love them. That devil is a liar. If, if the, 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 the world doesn't love you because you love Jesus, that's good. But if the world world uh, loves you and causes you to not love Jesus or to walk contrary to the dictates of Jesus, that is wrong. And it's even worse still, if the world starts to hate Jesus because you ain't conducting yourself appropriately. Are you hearing me what I'm saying? Uh, the, another key reason for the loss of faith in the day that we're living in is the lack of proper teaching on faith. Oh, we haven't taught properly. We haven't passed the baton on properly. We haven't taught the people deeply about faith. We haven't taught them real faith. So we've taught a pseudo faith, a false faith to a lot of people. And because they only have a pseudo faith and not the real faith, when they face challenges, 
they capitulate, they fall down, they collapse. We've taught a faith that can't even can't even stand any any rise in temperature or any ferocity of wind. No, no, no. We need to teach people once again a real faith that stands the test of time. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10 and verse 17. We have not taught them the word of God. So their faith is not in the word of God, but in human wisdom and ideologies. And that's not true faith. So when the tests and trials come, they capitulate, they fail. We have taught an atmospheric faith that has no strong roots in the everlasting word of God. So when the faith is, is tested and fails, there is a further loss of faith with the children never knowing that they never had the real faith in the first place. Uh, so they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. That shall not be our portion. Hallelujah. The other reason for the loss of faith in this generation is the, is, is, is the flooding of compromise in the church today. The lack of exemplary living. living. We talk the talk, but we don't walk the walk. Our actions are contrary to the words that we've been speaking. We've got to correct these things. Our children are watching our example more than even what we are saying. They will do what we do before they do what we say. We are Christians in church, but we are not Christians in the world. And our children are watching this. We raise up not so holy hands in church and inflict vindictive wounds outside the doors of the church with the self-same hands. We speak in tongues of angels in church and assassinate the character of our brother and our sister in the byways and in the alleys. These things ought not to be. We quote verse after verse, but are the most unfriendly, nasty people in society. So we are often our own worst enemies and we're compromising the faith that we have been charged to keep and to protect. Hallelujah. How many people have been turned away from the kingdom because of our contradictory and uh, and hypocritical testimonies? It's time to repent and again contend for the faith. You've got to contend for the faith and, and we've got to contend on it. Listen to me as I'm closing up right now. We've got to contend for it both on the corporate and on the personal level. Now listen to some of the admonitions that Paul gives us in the book of Hebrews. In the, Hebrew, in the book of Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 35, it says, Cast not away therefore your confidence, your faith, which has great recompense of reward. In verse 23 of the same Hebrews chapter 10, he says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith, without wavering for he is faithful that promised in hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14 seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heaven jesus the son of god let us hold fast our confession of faith so you've got to hold fast don't let go of the faith no matter what's happening no matter what's going on no matter the challenges no matter what is arrayed against you don't let go of the faith contend for the faith as I'm closing, the, 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 the word contend, what does it mean? To contend is to struggle to surmount a difficulty or a danger, to engage in a competition or campaign in order to win or achieve something, to assert something as a position in an argument. 
Synonyms for contend include face off with, to pit oneself against, to take on, to compete, to contest, to fight, to battle, to tussle, to go head to head, to strive for, to assert, to maintain, to hold, to claim, to argue, to insist, to state, to declare, to profess, to affirm, to allege. Look at all those meanings of the word contend and it says I, I, I would want you to contend earnestly for the faith. To contend is to take a stand and be unyielding. But to take a stand and be unyielding. Do I have any contenders in the house today? Are you willing to stand and be counted? Will you fight for the faith on a personal level and also on a corporate level? What promise has God given you? Are you willing to hold on to that promise and not let go? I ain't going to let go till it comes to pass because faithful is he that is uh, that has promised and well able is, is he to perform that which he promised. It's time to fight the good fight of faith for the faith and the reward of your faith is coming in the mighty name of Jesus. Even as we commit tonight to to fighting for the faith, to fighting the good fight of faith for the faith. I decree and declare we will, will experience the overflowing rewards of faith. You will experience the overflowing rewards of faith in the name of Jesus. Your faith shall not be in vain, even as you commit. You know, we've taught this faith as if it's only about getting whatever we want by faith. Now you realize that there's a far bigger and more consequential picture to this whole thing. It is, it it is, it is a precious thing. We of like precious faith must protect, must contend for that faith and make sure that that faith is being passed on to many other generations. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Oh God help us. Come on. In the next 30 seconds, pray that God will help you to fight the good fight of faith, to keep the faith that you too, like Paul, will be able to testify at the end of your, your journey that I have fought the good fight of faith. I have finished my course. I have kept i have kept i have kept i have held on to and never let go of the faith that was passed on to me in the mighty name of jesus it's time to fight for the faith amen and amen and if you're out there and you haven't yet accepted jesus christ as lord and savior that means you're outside this commonwealth of faith and of liberty this is your opportunity this is your time to embrace this offer please repeat these words of prayer after me lord jesus thank you for the price that you paid thank you for giving your life for me today i repent of my sin and i accept you as my lord and my savior i believe with my heart and have confessed with my mouth. Therefore, by faith right now, I am born again. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. If you pray that prayer, you are indeed saved. Hallelujah. And we want to help you grow from being a child of God to becoming a mature son of God. So please direct message us on any of our social media platforms or send us an email or, or follow the pathway that's on our website and we will help you in your, your journey of growth. Come into the collective and watch your individual faith 
also grow at the same time. We can't close out tonight's service without giving an opportunity for you to partner with us and give towards the work of the Lord. Please choose the way that is most preferred for by you and do not withhold your giving. Give in faith, give generously and watch God cause doors to open for you. The knowledge of witty inventions will be given to you, divine direction to where your supply is, even in these very challenging times when they say there's a casting down. We shall testify of a lifting up in the mighty, mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen and amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Don't miss next week, Wednesday. It's going to be off the hook, interactive, loaded with revelation and discussion, answering your questions. You don't want to miss it. Let's close out the service with the grace. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Rest and abide with us now and forevermore. Amen. And surely God's goodness and God's mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives. And we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen and amen. God bless you.